Well, we're going to have a reading now, which um, Helen's going to bring to us from Matthew chapter 6. Thank you. Starting at verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Thanks very much, Alan. Let's pray again, shall we, as we come to look at that bit of the Bible together. Father in heaven, as we stop again this morning to think about the weighty subject of prayer, as we listen and learn from the lips of the Lord Jesus, we pray that we wouldn't just learn things about prayer. We ask you that we would grow in our prayerful dependence on you. And we pray it all for your glory. Amen. Well, without embarrassing uh, Ken and Val Tomes, they arrived back in this church in 1969. Do the maths, that's 50 years ago. Uh, And when they arrived back here, little did they know that they were the answer to 14 years of prayer. The church at that time was made up of about 25 people. And they'd been praying hard for 14 years that the Lord would bring younger couples to the church to settle in this area. And you look around today, 50 years on, and it feels like the Lord in his kindness is still answering those prayers. And in the 50 years that have elapsed, God has been incredibly kind. There's been wonderful growth in this church. We've grown in number. You look around from 25 regularly to 225 We've grown in the amount of activity we do, not on Sundays, but just throughout the week. We've grown in the amount of support that we give to other churches outside of ourselves. We've grown in the amount of money we give to overseas mission. By the grace of God, we've grown in so many ways. But I wonder, have we grown in prayerful dependence on God? You see, so much of the growth that we are experiencing and enjoying today can be traced back to the prayers of the past, to faithful men and women of God who knelt before the throne of God and prayed for growth in the kingdom of God. I wonder whether the next generation will say the same thing about us. I wonder if the next generation will look back with gratitude to God because of the prayerful dependence of his people today. Well, if we want to grow in prayerful dependence on God, there's no better place to be than Matthew chapter 6, because the key that unlocks the door to a life of heartfelt prayer 
is given to us in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's teaching us. He's reminding them and he's reminding us that the single most important thing we can do to breathe new life into our prayer life is to remember the one we're talking to in prayer. To remember the one we are approaching. Our Father in heaven. Fatherly love on one hand. Nearness, tenderness, gentleness and transcendent greatness on the other. We're talking to God Almighty. We're talking to the creator of the heavens and the earth, the incomparable one who wraps himself up in inapproachable light, yet wonderfully we can approach him as our loving father because of all that God has done in Christ through adoption to bring us into his eternal family that we might call him Father. And when we get that right, when we get to know God deeply as our Father in heaven, genuine heartfelt prayer will follow. Well, for those of you who were with us last week, you may remember remember that Dan took us through the first three clauses of the Lord's Prayer, which are all about God and his glory. He summarized them for us with these three R's, God's reputation, God's rule, and God's reign. We are praying for the honor of God's name for his reputation in this world. We're praying for God's kingdom to come, for God's loving rule to be established in our own hearts and to be extended into the hearts and lives of others. And we're praying for God's reign, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the same way that the angels right now do the perfect bidding of God, so may we do the perfect bidding of God here on earth. God's reputation, God's rule and God's reign. But as we pick up the teaching this morning, halfway through the Lord's Prayer in verse 11, you can see a subtle shift in language from God and his glory to us and our needs. And so as we work through these next three clauses together now, we need to remember that these are two halves of the same prayer. We mustn't forget what we looked at last week. We are praying for these things in the context of God's glory. We pray for our daily bread in order that we might live for the glory of our eternal King. And so from the three R's last week, are going to be followed up with three P's this week. Our provision, our pardon, and our protection. Firstly, our provision. Have a look down verse 11. You're familiar with these words, no doubt. Give us today our daily bread. Or as another translation puts it, give us this day the bread we need. We're told to ask for our daily bread in the same way that the Israelites were told to gather manna in the wilderness on a daily basis. You remember the story in Exodus? God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt and he takes them all the way to the promised land, 40 years journeying in the wilderness. And every morning they open the doors of their tents and the ground was covered with these frosty-like flakes known as manna. And every morning they were told to gather what they needed for that day. Not that week or that month, but that day. Have a look back, Exodus chapter 
16 verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Do you see how God operates? He doesn't just drop one massive loaf of bread from heaven that's going to last for the 40 years journey through the wilderness. He provides for them on a daily basis. Why? Because he wanted them to learn to depend on him every day of their lives. And it's the same for us. Give us today our daily bread. God wants us to wake up every single morning and to throw our weight upon him and say, God, please give me what I need to live for you and your glory today. Spurgeon put it beautifully in his commentaries on the Psalms. The manna shall fall every morning until we cross the Jordan. God's provision will never fail because he's our father in heaven. He's got the full resources of heaven at his disposal. He is unlimited wealth and goodness and grace to pour out upon his people. And he loves it. Our Father in heaven loves it when we come to him with empty hands and say, Please, God, give me what I need that I might live well for you today. Firstly, we should seek God's provision daily. Secondly, we should seek it as a matter of need. Give us today our daily bread. Notice that it's bread and not cake. Jesus is talking about necessities, not luxuries. He's not talking about being greedy. He's talking about being needy. Listen to these words. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 8 and 9. What wonderful words of wisdom these are as we come before the Lord and ask him. Give me neither poverty nor riches neither poverty nor riches but give me only my daily bread otherwise i may have too much and disown you and say who's the lord i've got all i want i'll carry on in my own strength or i may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my god we're praying for daily bread we're praying that god would give us what we need not too much not too little but the basics that we need to live for him in all of life. Firstly, we need God's provision. That's why we're dependent on him. We need his provision. Secondly, we need his pardon. Verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Now, if you're holidaying in Anglesey, you might well come across this village on your travels. I'm not going to try and say it to you. I think even the Welsh speakers, if there are any here, uh, would struggle to say that word. It's a difficult word to say. But it's not as difficult as this one. Sorry. Easy. In many ways, sorry. Five letters. We say sorry. But really difficult to mean. Because sorry means I got it wrong. Sorry means I got it wrong with others. And sorry means I got it wrong with God. And that's what Jesus goes on to speak about next, because our greatest need we have is the forgiveness of our sins, or to use the language Jesus does, the payment of debt. You see, as people who are made in the image of God, we were created, you were created to give God your tireless love and loyalty, but of course, we failed to do so. 
And we fail every single day of our lives. And without the Lord Jesus, there is a growing debt before God that we cannot pay ourselves. It's a debt that can only be paid by Christ on the cross. And wonderfully, it was paid in full when Jesus hung there for sinners and for debtors like us. What a savior we have in Jesus Christ. But notice, Jesus doesn't stop there in his teaching. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And he elaborates on this, you'll see in verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus makes it clear that there is a link between the forgiveness that we receive and the forgiveness that we offer. You see, if we cannot forgive someone a small debt, just a small offense against us, it's a pretty good indication that we haven't understood the size of the debt that God has canceled against our name. Later on in Matthew's Gospel, Peter Ask Jesus this question, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? If they keep on offending me, Lord, how many times should I keep forgiving them? Seven times? Jesus' answer, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. The point being, keep forgiving. However many times someone has sinned against you, however deep the offense may be, however painful it may feel, Keep forgiving them out of the deep well of forgiveness that you have received from your Father in heaven. As Marsden says in a little book on forgiveness, we are called to be a channel and not a pond. These are his words. Listen to them very carefully. We are called to be a channel and not a pond. Receiving forgiveness from God is supposed to transform us into people who forgive Forgiveness is supposed to be like a river which does not stop with us. We aren't supposed to be dammed up, stagnant ponds of grace. God's grace is supposed to flow through us out to transform the church and the world. Do you see that? The unlimited resources of grace and forgiveness that we receive from God, we are called to extend out horizontally in those relationships with others when they have offended us. I wonder, is there something that you need to say sorry for this morning? Do you need to take some time after the service to talk with God and say sorry to him? Maybe you need to find somebody in this room, somebody outside of this room, and you need to go to them and you need to say sorry because you wronged them with your words or maybe even in your heart. Or maybe there's someone you need to forgive. Maybe you've been bearing a grudge for years and it's eating away at your soul. It's sapping your joy in Jesus. If that's you this morning, let go of it and give it to God because he is able to deal with it. There is wonderful blessing in confessing, in saying sorry, and there is wonderful blessing in forgiving others as well. Firstly, we need God's provision every day of our lives. And we need God's pardon. And thirdly, we need God's protection. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation. 
but deliver us from the evil one. Many of you know that we've got a, a young little lady with us now called Nevea, 14 months old, uh, and she's very fun, and she's at that stage, 14 months old, where she's just exploring everything, and we've, we've recently nicknamed her the little hurricane, um, because you just end up walking behind her, dealing with the, with a mess that sort of follows, because she empties boxes, she throws open cupboards, and it all goes out everywhere, and it's great, because she's exploring, she's learning stuff about life, but of course, there are a few drawers in the house that we've had to put those uh, those special catches on, particularly in the kitchen, uh, the knives drawer and the saucepans that are coming out quite frequently. And of course, we do this. Why? Because we want to protect. We want to protect. She doesn't understand, right? We want to protect her from herself and we want to protect others from her. And you see, any loving parent will have that same innate desire inbuilt within them to protect those in their care, their children. And it's exactly the same with God as our loving Father in heaven, far more loving than any human father could be. And he wants to protect his children. He wants to protect us. Not just from physical dangers, but also from spiritual dangers. And that's why Jesus encouraged us to to pray, lead us not into temptation. Father God, hold us back from saying things and doing things and thinking things that we should not say, do and think. Please, Lord God, keep me on that narrow path. Let me not wander. Let me but not be lured away to one side. Those areas are going to drag me away from you and cause great pain and hurt to myself and to those that I love. And you know what? If we all stop for long enough, you'll be able to identify particular areas in your life that you are more prone to do this. Name them. Don't just generalize it. Don't just, don't just ask God for forgiveness generally. Don't just pray for protection generally. Take time to know your points of weakness, those areas of temptation. Name them before God in prayer and say, Father God, please lead me not into temptation. Keep me on the narrow path that I might live my life for the display of your glory. In this world, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In the screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis famously said that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. But of course, he does exist. He's real and he's out to destroy and to damage and to undermine all the good things in this world. And the Apostle Peter warns us, doesn't he? 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. Peter knows all too well that Satan is real. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan is real and his intention is to bring great damage. You see there is a spiritual battle going on and it's not just out there in the world. It's in our hearts as well. You may be heard of the of the unholy trinity, the world, the flesh and the devil. Well, we need to be praying for protection from all three. The world is incredibly effective at leading people away from Jesus. 
Our children are being taught things in their schools every week that are contrary to the word of God. We live in a world where we hear things most days, most weeks that are contrary to the word of God. Oh, to pray that we would not listen to the lies of this world, but that we might hold fast to the truth of God's word. We need protection from the ways of the world and its powerful influence. But we also need protecting from ourselves, from the flesh, from those broken desires in our own hearts which wage war against our souls. We need the restraining grace of God and we need to pray. Jesus says pray. Deliverance from these things. And we need to pray hard for God's protection. Do you know what if we do? As a church will flourish. The name of God will be honoured. God's kingdom will be built and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the man or woman of God who prays little depends much on self. But the man or woman of God who prays lots depends much on God. And I think that's why Jesus then turns his attention to fasting in verse 16 through to 18, because both prayer and fasting are an expression of our dependence on God. Let me read those words to you. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Three questions I want to ask as we try to understand the place of fasting in the Christian life. Firstly, what is fasting? Secondly, should we fast today? And thirdly, what then is the purpose of fasting? Firstly, what is fasting? Well, very simply, fasting is going without food for a period of time. It's where we get our word breakfast from. We obviously go without food throughout the night. And when we eat in the morning, we break our fast, break fast. So on this most basic level, fasting is going without food for a certain period of time. But should we fast today? Is fasting a New Testament thing or is it something that should have just been left in the days of old? Well, I think Jesus' answer to that question is quite simply, yes, we should be doing it today. He assumes it, doesn't he? Look at verse 16. When you fast, not if you fast. It's the same language is used throughout this chapter here. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, not if you give, if you pray, if you fast. Jesus assumes we'll do all three. What he's challenging here is our motives. And of course, that's what he's doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is condemning this, this outward veneer of righteousness and he's helping us understand it's all about the heart. It's all about our motives. It's all about our attitude. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Don't mope around. 
making it obvious that you're fasting. So someone comes along and says, well done, Wellesley, what a, a fine Christian chap you are. The way you give and the way you pray and the, and the way that you fast. But, says Jesus, it's not about being seen by others. Verse 18. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father in heaven. Fasting is not about being seen by others. It's an attitude of your heart. It's something between you and the Lord. Should we fast? The Bible says yes. Jesus assumes yes. The question, lastly, is why? What then is the purpose of fasting? I'm going to suggest to you very quickly just three reasons. Number one, to grow in self-control. You see, self-control is often the, the forgotten fruit of the Spirit. It's there at the end of Paul's list in Galatians chapter 5. But that doesn't mean it's unimportant. It's one of the most notable characteristics of our Lord Jesus as he walked in this world. A man unrivaled in self-discipline and self-control. Fasting helps us grow in this wonderfully godly characteristic. Secondly... Fasting helps us grow in a hunger for God. Just flick forward, if you would, to Matthew chapter 9. It's just a couple of chapters in your Bible. Matthew 9, verse 14. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast. You see, the purpose of fasting is to express in our hearts a genuine hunger for God. A genuine desire for our heavenly groom to come home. You see, as Christians, we're either going to be feasting or fasting, right? In heaven, when our, when our groom comes and he, he takes us to be with us, to be with him, around that wonderful banquet in heaven, we will be feasting for all eternity. But until that feast arrives, we're called to be fasting. As we, as we hunger, as we yearn for his return, as we yearn for more of God in this world, as we yearn for him to establish his kingdom, to bring his kingdom here, to extend his kingdom into the lives of others. We are hungering, we are yearning for God to come in a more significant, meaningful way to to change this world. And the physical hunger pangs that you feel when you fast should remind us. They should just be a trigger for that even greater hunger for God, an even greater, deeper desire to be fully satisfied in him. Fasting helps us grow in self-control. It helps us grow in our hunger for God. And finally, it helps us grow in our dependence on God. You see, we don't just fast from food. We fill that gap with prayer. That's why prayer and fasting are coupled together throughout the Bible. Esther prayed and fasted before she went to the king. 
Ezra, we've seen this recently, prayed and fasted before he returned to Jerusalem. Jesus prayed and fasted before his earthly ministry began. Paul and Barnabas prayed and fasted before they were sent out on mission. Special enterprises in the Bible involve special prayer. Now, it's not for me to prescribe to you today what that looks like. The Bible doesn't give us that detail, but it is up to you to take this away and think about it. What does it look like for you to embrace that gift, the gift of fasting as you seek to grow in prayerful dependence on him? And of course, it's the same with the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? It's a gift. It's a gift to us today. The question for you is, are you going to use it? Will you pray through it? Not just in an an aimlessly reel off the words without sort of thinking what they mean kind of way, but will you pray deeply into each clause? Will you remember you are coming before your Father in heaven in humility, fatherly care and transcendent greatness? Will you pray for the glory of his name? his reputation, his rule, and his reign, would you pray that the victory of the Lord Jesus would be known, would be manifest in this world? And will you pray for our provision, for our pardon, and our protection? Because if we begin to pray like that, in full dependence on God, then maybe, just maybe, the next generation will look back with gratitude in their hearts, and they will know the blessings of God because this church today said, I'm going to take prayer seriously. And I'm going to kneel before my Father in heaven because I am dependent on him. We are dependent on him for every single good thing in life. As we reflect, you're going to watch a little video now. And as you listen to the video, hopefully it triggers some of the things you've heard over the last couple of weeks as you think about what it looks like for you to be prayerfully dependent. Our Father, who art in heaven, You are majestic and merciful. You are far above us and ready to come to us. You have plans for the whole earth, even for the universe. And yet you care for us, even in the smallest details. You are King and our Father. Hallowed be your name. Make your great and holy name to be honored and treasured above all things, especially deep in our own hearts and everywhere in the world. Your kingdom come. Cause your sovereign authority and wisdom to hold sway at all times in every place on earth and in the deepest parts of our own souls. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
grant that you're all wise, all good, all just, all holy will would be done throughout the world the way the angels do it perfectly and joyfully in heaven and make it a reality in each of us. Give us this day our daily bread. We are not asking for riches, but for enough to live. We want to be healthy and to have a mind and body that work. Sustain us that we might accomplish what you call us to do. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We are sinners and need to be forgiven every day. We know we don't deserve it. We ask for mercy. Forgive us. Draw us into the freedom of your love, the love you gave when your son died in our place. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We don't want to go on sinning. Keep us back from the entanglements of overpowering temptation. Guard us from Satan, from all his works and all his ways. Grant us to walk in holiness before you all our days. We pray this. In the name of the one who taught us to pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Could I encourage you, if you need to do some business in your own heart this morning with the Lord or with somebody else, then please do take the time to do that. There's lots of people here who'd love to pray with you. And there's a team that'll be going around with red badges on as well. Do feel free to, to stop them and pray with them. Let me finish with these words. It's a prayer of the, uh, the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. But as we make this prayer our own this morning, and this is my prayer, says Paul, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen.